0: Thank you so much for clicking on this week's episode of Gillyweed Girls. We hope we'll be uploading on a more consistent basis, getting you these episodes on Wednesdays now that we're both back home. But that being said, we are reuniting soon for Christmas and the holiday season, so no telling where the next couple of weeks of episodes are going to take us.
1: Right? It's about to be wild. Like, in the same house, we can finally take a good, like, yes. podcast cover image and not just use yes. our little, like, yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be amazing. We can do, like, live recordings. That. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. It um, great. I know, I cannot wait. Today we are going to talk about a magical place, but we're going to be unpacking some not-so-magical stories about this winter wonderland, the North Pole, and the surrounding areas in the Arctic Circle. So starting off, it really makes absolutely no sense that that is where Santa lives versus the South Pole, right? Because there's, like, literally no land under the North Pole. It's just a frozen sheet of ice that, like, Grows as, like, the colder months go on. And then it, like, shrinks pretty significantly during the summer. Um, so it literally, like, it's uh, and it, it, it's moving constantly since it's just a sheet of ice. So it makes no sense that they're like, yeah, Santa lives here. There's a whole, like, workshop, all of his elves and stuff. It's like, no. Not to mention an angle with global warming, in a few years, who knows <laughs> if the North Pole will be there, right? Like, there really? might not be any ice at the North Pole, you know? that's so true
0: it's also light like 24 7 from march to september and then dark for the rest of the year so like Mm. absolutely blinding and then absolute misery but that being said Uh. what better to like hide under the cover of darkness if you're gonna hide an entire like little factory with tiny oompa loompas that Uh. brought
1: presents and make toys that's true it would be really magical also like Christmas lights twinkling literally oh. twenty four seven as soon so as right. September hits it's it's Christmas season like they don't do Halloween on the North Pole it's dark and they right. go straight into the twinkle lights and that's just just oh. like up the rest of the and year And then it
0: is light,
1: like, for those months, yeah. too,
0: probably. Yeah. And maybe in those sunny months, you know, they're outside farming, I hope, yeah. if there are winter crops.
1: <laughs> the Hopefully. homes are like, finally the sun, they in like, their PJs, they tan their bodies and get some, like, vitamin Sundances, D to try to ward off the right. six-month-long
0: seasonal depression. That's why it, the North Pole, they survive off of candy and sugar, because they're just, like, true. massively <laughs> depressed from the lack of sun, the majority of the year. Oh god that's hilarious. That the North is Pole hilarious. and South Pole they so they they move in and out of sunlight as the earth orbits the sun. No matter how much the earth rotates on its axis, the sun never appears to set. So it produces this phenomenon that they call The Midnight Sun, holla, Twilight book name drop.
1: (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Okay, one really trippy thing about the North Pole that I've never really thought about is no matter what, if you're standing right on the North Pole, it doesn't matter what direction you're facing, you will always be facing south. Wait, what the heck? Are you sure? Yeah, because like on a map, the North Pole, like you're south. So, like, if you're standing right on the North Pole, if you turn this way... On a map. It's south.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, this that way. Is, okay. Okay. This way. Not on like a globe, globe, but on a map.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: My, my mind was blown for a second, and then I was like, wait, because I have so many projections Uh-oh. in my mind that I'm like, that, but you're talking about, like, Mercator Robinson projections, so you're absolutely yeah. right.
1: Yeah. This is definitely more about, like, more about actual due north, I guess, if that makes sense. That's so true. Horrifying. That almost sounds
0: claustrophobic. It would make so much more sense for Santa to live on the South Pole, because, like, at least Mm -hmm. there's Antarctica. At least
1: there's land there, a land mass. And on the topic of Santa Claus, can we just talk about how wild the evolution of Santa Claus lore has become? Like, starting from the very traditional roots to what we have now here in America was brought about by the poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas. That was, like, the first time that we've seen in history, like, our OG Santa Claus. Like, the ones that we Americans know. Yeah. That's
0: really cool information that I didn't know, and I'm a Santa enthusiast, I feel like.
1: Yeah, same. And honestly, the only reason I know is because I came across a TikTok video last week that kind of talked about how Santa Claus is basically an American god in terms of folklore and, like, lore and myths and legends. Like, he, like, falls under this, like... Appears like at everybody's definition house.
0: mythology. Yes. We Look forward to him visiting us at night. He that's decides. Cool. He
1: decides if you're good or bad. Like he's wow. a judgment of character. Are you naughty
0: or nice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So Crazy. that's yeah. And there is where she talked about like the Americanized version of Santa that came about from the poem and how everything that followed after it like made him like an American god or deity. Which, but anyway, where I was going with that is that it's really wild that. We did not place him on the South Pole because, like, he was brought about in this, like, capitalist way. Like, as soon as this idea of Santa Claus came out in the U.S., he was, like, all over Coke products, in toy stores every Christmas. And it became this very, like, ooh, okay, we're going to make this a consumerist holiday where everybody buys gifts and you have to buy the decorations and do Christmas cards. And it's very much about the material things, you know? Yes, economy. exactly. So it would make sense if they did, like, if Santa was at the North Pole or the South Pole, and then like they could build a South Pole base that people could visit, because then you would that's pay money true. to go stay at the South Pole. So it would have made sense for them to base themselves. That's of South Antarctica, Pole. and it's a true continent. Is it governed by anybody? Argentina, Australia, Chile, France, New Zealand, Norway, and the United Kingdom maintain territorial claims in Antarctica. Wow. So it's not really governed. They're like, who are we
0: going to govern the seals?
1: Yeah, true. We need to do another episode about Antarctica sometime this winter because there is so much lore and conspiracy around Antarctica that it is insane. It's crazy. So much. Like, everything
0: stems, I feel like, from Mm. Antarctica when it comes to the crazy. Like, Flat Earth has roots in Antarctica. That's one of the ancient conspiracies. So many crazy conspiracy conspiracy theories.
1: Yeah. There's like a big conspiracy that they're hiding something in Antarctica. And, yeah. like, the government, like, put up a giant wall and nobody's allowed to pass because there's this, like, magnetic force field or, like, something crazy, you know, that nobody is supposed to know about. Anyway, I would there's say so, we, It's like Area 51 level of yeah. when you're unpacking we, the conspiracies. Yes, we'll never know, like, unless true. we get
0: fun intel someday released to yeah. us. But, like, even if we never know, it's a really fun... Thing to explore. So we wrote like a page for this. What we've said so far, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and obviously said a lot more than a page. We are fascinated uh, by unpacking like these unknowns, and I think part of our love for the unknown of the Arctic Circle could potentially come from the movie Transformers. When we lived in Japan. My dad and little brother saw the movie Transformers in theaters over ten times on a military base. A movie ticket uh, in twenty ten was like three dollars, literally three dollars. So we were allowed to go to the theater all of the time Um, because when you're you know locked on a military base in a foreign country, what else are you going (laughs) to do? Um, So my dad and brother watched it religiously. We did not go see it ten times, Kayla, but we probably went with them twice twice, of those ten. I did twice, I think. Maybe more than mm-hmm. twice because we went to the off-base theater in the on-base theater. Oh, um, yeah. And then we've seen it at home more times than I can
1: count. Mm-hmm. But there's one scene in particular I'm thinking of. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. And that actually relates to the story that I'm going to be telling a little Ooh. bit. Um, but, yeah, Archibald Witwicky in the Arctic Circle. Ah! Sam's, like, great-grandpa or something like Like, great-great-grandpa yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's wild, but there's not only the transformer story, there's actually so many little bits of like lore and spooky stories that come out of the Arctic Circle. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of stories specifically from the North Pole besides this idea of Santa Claus seeing as it is just like the sheet of ice but there's a lot of like lore around the arctic circle and that's what we're going to be talking about today so each of us have a story that's like based in the arctic circle that's kind of like spooky and ocean themed and we're excited to dive into those today
0: Yeah, I didn't think it would be too easy to find, like, as the Gillyweed Girls, if you're here and you've been here, you know we started with spooky sea stories because it was spooky season. We've talked about, like, mermaids, sirens, ghost ships, and I was so pumped to find a ocean-based, winter-based, also a little spooky story to step back into our spooky season um, comfort zone, I suppose. So I'm going to start with a story that takes place in the 1800s, so Take a seat, uh, settle back into your chair or couch or whatever you're sitting on. Tuck your
1: toes under your blankets because it's about to get a little bit spooky. Don't want the the spooky sea ship ghosties to bite your toes. I like that. <laughs> Tuck your toes
0: under your blankets because it's about to get a little bit spooky. I like that oh, so yeah. much. You need to write that at the top of the dock, and we need to use that every yes. time. Yes.
1: First t-shirt. Our first
0: t-shirt. <laughs> Tuck your toes under your blankets and buckle in. It's going to get spooky. Okay. So... In 1845, there was a ship called the Terror, great name, that set off from England to find what's called the Open Polar Sea. Uh, If you can look in your brain, go to Canada go north of Canada and travel to Greenland and Iceland area. That area between Canada and Greenland is like the open polar sea. So the area they're looking for doesn't exist. They don't know that. It's 1845. um, And we are, you know, making all of these maps. We don't have satellite imaging yet. So every route that we take as humans needs to be mapped out by our cartographers and these different expeditions. Um, so that was the terror's goal. Um, they wanted to chart a theoretical shortcut through the Pacific on the open polar sea, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, coming from England did not realize what sailing through all of those ice it w- would mean for them. Um, even in the summer months, they didn't have luck. So uh, charting new routes like this was super commonplace at the time. Uh, everybody wanted their colonies as well, So traveling on Waters was like a great way to be like, look at this land. Are there people here? No, that's our land now. Yes, that's our land now. You know what I mean? Oh, um, so that provides opportunities for national economic, physical um, growth and they did it all the time. Uh, Before they set out on the Terror and there was another sister ship along with them called the Erebus. So before they set out on this voyage, a group of Navy admirals acknowledged that traversing in the area they would be was very dangerous. They were like, you guys might get like marooned on the ice. You guys might freeze to death. We want to make sure you have all of the supplies and rations that you need. And additionally, we're going to put you on two vessels just in case one vessel fails, gets stuck in the ice gets ruined, you have this backup vessel that also has half of the men and half of the supplies. So, We're going to be really safe. Better safe than sorry. Um, Everything sounded great. The sister vessel is called Erebus. And neither group, of course, could know that A, they're searching for a path that doesn't exist, so their mission is for naught. And B, nobody was going to return home at the end of this voyage. Maybe some suspected. uh, For example, the captain of one of the ships was the third choice because the first two captains that had more credibility were like, We're not doing that. That's a death sentence, and uh, they were not wrong. So, There was a crew of over 100 men. They are stranded in the Arctic after their ship gets caught on some ice. And the chances of surviving a situation like this in 1845 are very slight. Today, like heating pads and blankets, hopefully, and like the Coast Guard and satellites and radios. Lighters. Um, Lighters, right. Easy way to make
1: fire. Meal Mm
0: -hmm. on the go. Um, But yeah, they... Did not have such luck. Um, The Lost Vessels kind of became something like a legend when they didn't come home. In 1845, of course, people have faith. Even for the next, like, few years, people have faith. Um, But then, around 1848, people are like, we haven't heard from them in a few years, and that's really strange. Uh, And then we have the idea of a reward being published for discovering any information. So we want to discover this information. The first information that we have about the event itself is that in May of 1845, the captain, John Franklin, age 59 of the Terror, and the other captain, Francis Crozier, because remember we've got two men captaining two ships, was 51, um, and he's captaining the Eurebus. Franklin is this military veteran. Uh, He was the third choice, like I said, for the role, Uh, and he gets ready to captain the Terror after getting recalled from his job as governor of Tasmania, which is this little interesting region, Um, so a failed politician, and apparently in one of Franklin's previous Arctic journeys. He also made a name for himself as a cannibal. Uh, he oh went God. out with 20 men on his crew, returned home with 9, and then rumors start swirling around town from those men that he came home with. They were like, hey man, that man was straight up like eating the crew that got sick Aww. on our journey when we ran out of oh supplies. God. So, maybe a little foreshadowing for what's to come in my story. Oh. Obviously, this is a risky journey, and they know it. Uh, They stock the ships heavy. The expedition goes missing, and they're not worried about the supplies. They're worried about the men, which is excellent. Um, Having not received word from the expedition for years, the government suspects something was afoot and offered a reward worth around $2 million today. So enough motivation to be like, find these men and bring them home. Many missions were organized to try and discover the missing crew and collect the reward, though few made it past the planning phase due to the fact that those that did didn't have the best luck, and once people realized that these really heavily funded projects even had no luck, they were like, yeah, we we ought to take, um, take a step back from this information that we have today actually giving us answers didn't really come to us officially until 2014 so we had to wait a very long time and just kind of got the absolutes of what we know happened due to the archaeological evidence um that canadians provided to us thanks canada (laughs) so what happened let's see We know that many missions were organized. One of these missions that uh, the government had inspired, be with that $2 million reward, was the HMS Resolute. That's the ship. Um, It's one of four rescue ships in a fleet of five that became lodged in the ice during their efforts to rescue. So this big crew goes out on five ships and four of them get stuck in the ice and then everybody on the outside looking in is like, this is for naught. You know what I mean? Like, this Mm -hmm. is purposeless because if they have the money for five ships, like, I'm not gonna be able to get there in my canoe. Like, we wouldn't be able to just go row there in a yacht, even. You know what I mean? So the search for the doomed expedition continued for about a decade until 1854 when things started dying down and when the government started kind of uh, not necessarily... advertising, you know, when they'd not thought about the situation too much Uh, but, you know, who is still caught up the captain cannibal's wife who knows why um but maybe he was a fantastic husband you know like really really great dude or something but she is the one that funded this final mission that was sent out to find the missing crew um and we have one individual who she allowed to captain with her another explorer john ray is to thank for discovering chilling (laughs) chilling Get it? Evidence <laughs> that the crew was dead. Uh, he had spent a decade exploring Canada's unique Arctic archipelago, uh, where he made friends with a group of Inuit natives. So these Inuit natives told him there was a trader who they sold a seal who seemed of European descent, you know, a white man. They returned to the area a few months later and found 30 corpses frozen in the ice instead of this man who they had sold the seal to at the beginning of this Ooh, cold season. Womp, womp. So he investigated the claims, discovered that they seemed to be true because he did indeed find these bodies in the ice, and he wrote a letter to the Admiralty back at home stating, quote for quote, "...from the mutilated state of many of the corpses and the contents of the kettles, it's evident that our wretched countrymen had been driven to the last resource, cannibalism." The Admirals cut off the search, but Lady Franklin was like, hey guys, okay here's all of my money, let's throw one last ditch effort to find my husband. Um, So she gets Francis McClintock mouthful of a name And the mission is afoot. The mission begins. In 1859, their search party met Inuits who wore a British naval badge on his furs, which they claimed to have found on corpses who had starved upon a nearby island. So there are spooky diary entries that also recount stories from an old native woman who had seen the original expedition. She even watched the survivors march across the ice, maybe uh, on their way there, on their way out, uh, when they were buying the seal. But after hearing this, the mission leader ordered a search of the area. He was like, okay, let's see if we can find anything, especially if this guy claims that over on an island X miles away, like, 30 of my brother's corpses are around. So while sleuthing nearby, he tripped over this white rock-like thing sticking out of the snow a bit, and his foot was caught. So his crew grabs an axe and cuts him out of it, and they realized that he had stepped into and gotten stuck in a human skull belonging to the crew, according to the evidence that was found near the corpse. Um, It was a very informative corpse. Thank you, corpse. Uh, And with this evidence, there was this handwritten message inside of a rusted tin uh, that had been edited and revised, meaning like they wrote on it once, and they were like... Uh, on May 28th, 1847, HM ships, Erebus, and Terror wintered in the ice, Sir John Franklin commanding the expedition all well, but then scrawled around like the outskirts of that original memo that they had written. A year later, there was faded pencil written in April 25th, 1848, that said HM ships, Terror, and Erebus were deserted on the 22nd April, having been beset since 12th September 1846. Can you imagine that oh, being stranded God. for a year and a half? Sir John Franklin died on the 11th June, 1847, and the total loss of deaths in the expedition has been to this date nine officers and 15 men. Oh. So, crazy. A year and a half, this boat is lodged in the ice. They only thought they'd be marooned for the winter and they had the supplies to last. They prepared for that, but they didn't know the ice would just like not chill. You know, they Stay. didn't know they were oh, stuck gosh. in ice that was their year round. They should have asked. They should have been like, yeah. Yeah. How like, long does this race right. like to chill, you know? Can you ever make it through this water? Do you think oh. or is it always yeah. Um, but to yeah. be fair, natives made it, maybe had never seen like massive boats like that. Eh. It's yeah. 1845. Yeah, they had. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't Wild. know. Any hoozle. Um so, tragically, uh there were this the, okay. So, this evidence was found near the corpse again, um, but by the time it had been written, few rations remained. Those that were uh, were contaminated because the rusted tins had like been. Uh, it was very clear they were not all the way lockable when they were in their original form, and poisonous lead had seeped into like Aww. the cargo shipment area. So the men, um, and that's only because like all of this supplies and storage are stored in this really tight space for a year and a half with like very little ventilation you know what I mean like yeah Mm -hmm. you're on a window but the entire point of like the bottom of a ship is to keep you safe from the water outside so it's not like there are vents and everything letting anything in whatsoever. So, poisonous lead drips into the meals. Um, The captain dies earliest. I wonder why. The captain is one of the first to die, probably because he is definitely eating as many rations as he needs. Uh, And the evidence that they've collected since says yeah, lots of these men probably had crazy lead poisoning. Not a great way to go. And kind of makes a part of this story I'll talk about soon cannibalism a little more understandable because if you have lead poisoning maybe you'll resort to something like that it also informed the reader that Franklin had died within the first year of the ships becoming stuck like it said along with multiple crewmen the expedition's 105 survivors were now preparing to trek for hundreds of miles across the ice in hopes of reaching some sort of civilization Uh, and they died on that journey the crew's final message that was scrawled on a note found with their bodies pleads with anyone reading it not to come looking for them do not follow, it warns, scrawled by Crozier. There was a lifeboat nearby, uh, This very informative corpse of ours, and in this lifeboat there were two skeletons, a mountain of supplies including boots, silk handkerchiefs, scented soap, books uh, that was rescued from the ships. So nearby were also three graves where uh, three men in naval uniform were buried beneath the snow, so likely, you know, they had so many supplies, not because they were being selfish and stealing everything, um, but because, you know, men are dying on this journey with them on the boats, and maybe they feel like, A, all of these supplies maybe keep them a little more warm. Like, I would put all of those handkerchiefs yeah. fashioned together into whatever I could. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But there was an even graver discovery, if you can believe it, made by McClintock. That was of two skeletons slumped over one another, both holding cocked guns, um, and religious books were scattered all around them, kind of like a beautiful, cruel kind of thing. Uh, But when Canadians found the wreck in the modern day, in 2014, uh, they found Erebus, the sister ship of the Terror, and found it surrounded by human skeletons with knife marks gouged into their bones, suggesting they'd been cannibalized by their crewmates after they died, giving McClintock's assessment from way beforehand even more credibility, which is kind of cool, that he was like, I think our brethren cannibalized each other. To be fair, he saw body parts in kettles, so... They should That's have listened true. to him. But this is more evidence. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I can't imagine. Say, that makes, like, literally makes my stomach flip right now. Yeah. So. Two years later, in 2016, we have the last little bit of evidence that I'll give you before we dive away from my story and splash into Kayla's. But in 2016, there was an Inuit that came across the remains of the Terror, Erebus' sister ship, the one that was captained by our lovely little cannibal. It was frozen in the ice just 60 miles away from its sister in the Canadian Arctic. So imagine you're exploring the Arctic today 2022 and you come across any shipwreck just still frozen on the ice because how do you get that out of there and what are you going to do with it when you do it's going to fall apart in the entire process so nobody's out here do you leave it there as like a pseudo museum exhibit just like fossilized in time because like this is the best environment for it in the ice and cold um it's literally a time capsule i feel like i would love discovering and excavating and unpacking its secrets. That being said, I'm really thankful to the Canadian archaeologists who braved that job because 30 corpses, cannibalism. Oh, I mean, I'm God, sure it's a field day for archaeologists, <laughs> but like anybody who's squeamish like me, like I love archaeology, but that
1: sounds, I would ugly cry. You know what I mean? Yeah, same. I would. Be throwing up like on site as soon as I stepped up there. That sounds absolutely disgusting, and it also sounds like something that you'd see in a Nancy Drew game. Right? <laughs> it
0: really does. Maybe not the cannibals, years not the cannibals,
1: but you know, the Just ship like run. the ever evolving information, too. It's yeah. awesome. In another spooky story about the Arctic Circle, there was a cargo ship called the Octavius that met its demise in 1761. So the three-mast schooner left England to travel to Asia in the year 1761. It arrived safely at its destination, but when returning home, going back to Britain, the captain decided to play with fate a little bit and travel via the Northwest Passage. No ship had successfully traveled through the Northwest Passage at that time, but he was like, you know what? Hey, shortcut, let's chance it. Let's just do it. Maybe we will get lucky. Um, Unfortunately, the ship disappeared, proving it was not the exception, and it was not bound to be lucky and make it through safely. Um, A whaling ship actually came upon the damaged remains of the Octavius over a decade later in October of 1775, and they hopped on board to see if anybody was on board, if there were any survivors or, like, supplies or anything. And they went below deck and actually found the captain frozen at his desk like mid-entry like he had a pen in his hand writing in the ship's log in his cabin there was also a woman a naked boy that was wrapped up in a blanket and a sailor with a tinder box the rest of the crew were also found encased in ice throughout their rooms almost Uh, perfectly preserved over 10 years later yeah it was actually 13 years later Um, so the, you know, this rescue ship or the ship that came across it took what they could of the ship's logs and were pretty much just like, Hey, we're not, we're not going to go look through anything else. This is fucking disgusting. So they like got the ship logs and fled the Octavius. They got Uh... out of there. Yeah, but later when looking through the log, they found that the Arctic temperatures and ice captured the Octavius about 250 miles from Barrow, Alaska, and everybody on board ended up perishing on November 11th, 1962. However, the weird part is they found the boat all the way near Greenland, which means that the ship indeed made its way through the dangerous Northwest Passage after the, sh- the all of the crew and the captain had died and were frozen solid on the ship, oh uh, um, yeah, so how? very creepy. I know it just like floated. I guess like it got stuck in the, the ice. The ghost Everybody of the captain froze. was like,
0: you know what I always wanted to do,
1: right? I know, like that definitely like ghost ship. I mean, it, right? it made it. It made it back to yeah. Greenland. Like not, I mean not how? to the UK, but it made it to Greenland. Right? Just floated. I guess it's wild. But I mean I would believe it if you were like all the crew thought that they were still alive, you know, Right. Dopesties running yeah. the running the party. Yeah, so um, this story also seemingly inspired a graphic novel by Jacques Tardy called The Demon of Ice that was published in 1974. So like this, it's kind of like one of those ghost ships where it's not like there's historical evidence that it actually happened, but it's just like a tale that has been passed down. Um, So who knows? Maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. There's no like evidence of the ship. So people don't know if it's like floating around with the people still inside, you know, Who knows, honestly. But, fun fact, this ship is also featured in Assassin's Creed 3, where the main character, Connor Kenway, is searching for Captain Kidd's lost treasure. So, like, you see this ship that with everybody, like, frozen, or I don't know if you see everybody frozen inside, because I haven't played it. But when I, like, learned that it was on Assassin's Creed 3, I was like... Hell yeah, that's awesome. That is so
0: I love how Assassin's Creed throws in genuine historical accuracy. I can't Mm -hmm. tell you how many times I've been teaching and I'm in my brain like walking through a campaign that I've played on one of like Assassin's Creed, Uh, for example. There's one where you meet like Machiavelli and you meet the Borgias and you know, Italy and like you're in the Renaissance during the Renaissance time, and I'm teaching the Renaissance right now, and one of the like evil popes that we had in history, his name was Rodrigo Borgia. Um, and Alexand- Pope Alexander the Sixth, if you're a history buff, but he was not very nice, famously, and uh, we assassinate him in Assassin's Creed. So that's wow. crazy.
1: That's mm-hmm. wild. See, every time I like I see the pictures from Assassin's Creed, and I'm like, I don't know if I would enjoy playing that. But then I hear that, and that makes me want to play so bad. So maybe I I'll, feel like, like you maybe would I'll try enjoy it.
0: it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I am a big Nancy Drew buff, so I feel right? like it's you probably, like campaigns, like, the even if you don't up-leveled. know you do. Yeah, I probably mm-hmm. would like it a lot. Oh, it also, like like we said in the beginning of the episode, it maybe kind of inspired the Transformers movie idea of Archibald Witwicky, which, I mean, who knows? There were probably a lot of ships, like we learned in your story too, there were a lot of ships that got stuck in the Arctic, Um, So I guess, like, this story specifically probably did not, you know, inspire Archibald Witwicky, but just, like, this whole theme of, like, the ships getting stuck in the Arctic Circle in the ice um, kind of, like, inspired... His story, Um, apparently Archibald set sail in 1897, according to the movie and the Transformer movie comic set that came out after, Um, and he led the National Arctic Circle mission, but his ship became stuck in the ice. And the crew got out and were, like, chipping away at the ice trying to get the boat unstuck. And that's when Archibald saw something that apparently immediately on site, it screwed his brain up so bad that he, like, ended up in an asylum whenever he got home. And I'm guessing, like, what he saw was the Transformer. It was Megatron, remember? In that flashback in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was, like, the man in ice or something. Yeah, Megatron. Um, yeah, so I guess you know Transformers didn't really like do all of their research <laughs> because the the possibility of like guys getting out and chipping away at the ice to the point where the boat can get unstuck and return safely back home, so like the captain can go into an insane asylum, is not very likely. That's you know? fair, yeah. Because like interesting like, oh, historical ever since and he got back. Yeah, it's like, but, but how I mean, did like, he get back? right like how do you get and like chip away at that ice like yeah. shit that doesn't happen for five technology
0: in advanced in those 50 years to make right? the other crew Unless, not make it?
1: i mean there were also transformers though so maybe megatron was like here bro let me poke the ice with my finger and like help you out you know
0: that's true maybe megatron's heat from like waking up melted everything we don't know that's true that's true yeah fair. Maybe he mm-hmm. flew
1: out and broke all the ice, yeah. Maybe that would know. fuck me up. I I would me have too. to I would have to get some mental help after Same. seeing that also. I would after you know. any trip to the Arctic probably True, asylum for at least right? three months. <laughs> you either see a transformer or, or you see a bunch of like body parts and kettles or like you see a ship uh, that's been sitting there for like hundreds of years. <laughs> I would go ship
0: transformer kettle if I had to in <laughs> yes. order of what I would like at
1: least. But the sh- if the ship had thirty dead bodies inside, oh, and you poke your head through the window. Shit.
0: Actually, I don't know if it's thirty skeletons that might look cool.
1: It might just look like the Black yeah. Pearl. But would they be but skeletons or- if they were stuck in the ice? You know, would yes. they still be frozen? Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. Because like the lore on the ship I talked about on the Octavius was like they were perfectly preserved since they were like That's floating fair. and it was like so cold. Yeah, I don't think mine were floating. Yeah. I think mine were in the snow and then uh, the boat. Well, Mine weren't like floating. Mine were like on the boat. So, like uh, floating on the boat. But just like but perfectly preserved. preserved. Yeah, like the captain was like stuck to his desk, like with a pen in his hand. Oh, I thought 10, they were skeletons. 13 years later. Mm-mm. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Disgusting
0: that's how they knew he was a naked boy that makes sense mm-hmm. i was yeah. like naked boy they're all wow
1: <laughs> that's yeah. horrifying mm-hmm.
0: i always wanted to explore the arctic and i like i still kind of do but these really make me question whether that would be a good idea or whether we would just certainly die like who knows <laughs> what do you think listener if given the opportunity would you traverse the arctic circle
1: you know, I I'm definitely torn on this because number one, again, like we said, ships, Megatron, you know, tea kettles filled with body parts uh-uh. doesn't seem like it would be a good time. But at the same time, it's not like we would get stuck in the ice because we have all this technology. But you know, if, you, if listeners, if you want to, you know, let's throw together a crew and just head out. 2023 right. coming in hot gillyweed pod gilly pod expedition to the Arctic <laughs> <laughs> our see expedition what dis- <laughs> see what spooky discoveries we find the gillyweed pod
0: is such the perfect name for us and our listeners to actually go on a journey with us though that sounds awesome yes that, yeah yeah that does our mission will um, head so, out soon after 2022 does ladies and gentlemen yes
1: We love you guys. Thank you for listening, and we hope you never get stranded in the cold for a year and a half resorting to eating all your friends and allies. (laughs) If so, remember, be like Hillary Clinton, and do be sure to carry
0: sriracha on your person at all times. (laughs) 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 Oh, no. Oh,
1: my gosh. But Okay, join us next week as we move away from cannibalism and chilling Arctic mysteries to the sunnier side of the North Pole, our favorite magical winter tales and myths. Heads up, mine might be Krampus, so it might not be too
0: happy and magical, but hey, if you like dark humor like us, then join us next time. Until then, XOXO, Gillyweed Gillyweed Girls. Girls.